You're listening to the weekly Joel Klatt segment podcast. Listen to it live every Wednesday between 8 and 8.30 a.m. during the football season. Presented exclusively by Audi Flatirons in Broomfield. Exceeding your experience from the first mile to the last. Goals. Playing well, right. scoring Let a lot of goals. Let us bring in Joel Klatt. This, this, Joel Klatt presented by Audi Flatirons. And Joel, I gotta tell you, this, this is, this show is tailor made for you. It's a, it's a, it's a Wednesday, oh. but it's our Friday. And right. because oh. of that, we're getting it, loose. It's been an all balls football uh, Friday. Basically, basically. Yeah, here? that got banned too. Banned or not banned. But, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, but so we, we're into our last hour. We're getting loose and we can think of no better person <laughs> to just drive this thing right to the finish line than, than joining uh, up with you. Uh, or off a cliff. Well, Either I mean, way. Good luck to the Rapids. Uh, <laughs> I hope that they win. <laughs> I mean, right? Like, I don't want to be condescending. I hope that they win. I think parade might be overboard. If they win, maybe we can have a potluck. But nonetheless, I hope that they win. Yeah, no. I mean, it's like, yeah. hey, I didn't know they were playing. But, hey, congratulations. Right. Good for you guys. Yeah, I mean, Mike, you should have, like, a caller number five. If you can name a rapid, we'll give you $50. <laughs> I can't name one. I can't name one. But I'm rooting for him. Yeah. Let's go, Rapids. That yeah. doesn't mean I'm not rooting for him either. Everyone's like, you're such a jerk. No. I'm rooting for them heartily. And then I'll give them a sleeve of golf balls and say, you're welcome. Yes. You to yourself on the back of real football. Hey, what did you think of the Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick signings? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you don't have a quarterback, none of it matters. So... I, I'm, you know, w- wake me up when we decide to make a move, whether it's in the draft or otherwise, that actually puts someone in that position that's going to get us to a playoff. I think that's kind of my thought, right? So that's great. Listen, the rest of the roster, you got to have a good roster, and I don't want to be, you know, nonchalant about it, but. I think that what this year has proven is that all that money that was spent in the secondary and all of that doesn't matter because unless you've got like the coaching staff that you need, unless you've got a complimentary game plan that, that, that's going to accentuate your strengths and mitigate your weaknesses. And unless you have a quarterback that you really believe can go out there and at times put the team on their back and drive them down the football field. If you need first downs, if you need a score, then I don't know if it matters, right? So I don't want to mitigate what is or could be thought of as as quality signings and and certainly some young players that have done nice things. Like, I just, you know, and you know how I feel about wide receivers. Let's be honest. Like, that, they're they're the lowest on the totem pole on the offense. You should never, ever, in football, ever, hang your hat on the fact that, like, hey, we got great receivers. Fine. Who cares if you can't get him the ball? I I completely agree with that. You know, our little buddy in the afternoon is always uh, talking about D-Max, is always talking about, hey, just draft a quarterback in the first. As long as you get one in the top ten, then you've got a, uh, you got a chance. I just went through 2015, 16, 17, 18, and 19. Out of all the quarterbacks drafted, nine of them are what you would consider busts, and four of them are actually panning out and working. So, my, my, my question to you, we, I renamed his theory, you know, his just draft a quarterback, any draft, uh, any quarterback as long as it's in the top 10, uh, that I, I named it the Sex Panther 
theory of, uh, you know, of, of drafting quarterbacks. 60% of the time, it fails every time. So we just call it Sex Panther now. Um, so like, from an evaluation standpoint, uh, and, and the Broncos need this. How are you gonna, how are you gonna, like, if you're in charge, how do you evaluate and how do you, you, you know if a guy, or, or at least you have a better chance of a guy actually walking out of college and, and being NFL caliber? Well, that's a, I mean, that's a great question. I, it's really difficult. And I think the teams that do it well are ones that, that generally have enough around the quarterback from a structural standpoint, from a consistency of staff standpoint, from an identity standpoint, that that player doesn't have to come in and be everything to everyone from, from a rookie standpoint. And, you know, I, even with that, that, the last answer that I gave, yes, you have to have that guy. But if you're going to rely on a young quarterback, you, you better make sure that, in particular, you're solidified from a coaching standpoint and from an identity standpoint. Because a, a lot of those guys that you, you referenced there who have failed in the top ten failed because they went to teams that felt like they had to draft that guy because they were up against a wall. Their roster is terrible. Their identity is, is bad, which is why they're in that position in the first place. And a lot of them still had the same staff that put them in that position. So, you know, that can be a, a lose-lose, if you will. And we've seen a lot of quarterbacks go to places and fail because everything around them has been really terrible. Meanwhile, some of the guys that have succeeded were guys that didn't get drafted up high, and they were – in the you know middle of the first round or even late in the first round, they went to teams and organizations that did have an identity and a more solidified coaching staff, and they had a little bit of a of a better roster. So that's where you look at this team and you think to yourself, okay, what do you have around the quarterback? I would suggest that the roster is actually not bad. The thing that I question is, is this really the coaching staff that you're going to move forward with with a young quarterback? With this offensive game plan that we see every single week? With this head coach who seems completely inept at game management, even though he's been in the league for his entire life. You know, those, those are the things that, that I would question. And I don't want to be a negative Nancy here, but no, you can't just say you've got to draft a quarterback. It's got to be in the top 10 regardless. That, it, that player has got to fit who you are and what you are. And, and more importantly, you've got to know who you are and what you are. And I don't know if the Broncos really understand those things, in particular on the offensive side right now. Well, I know I'm going to serve up a big old meatball to you in your uh, in your kitchen here for you to hit out. But talk to me from a quarterback's perspective about why receivers play a dependent position and why quarterbacks, good quarterbacks, elite quarterbacks, make below average receivers average, make average receivers above average, and make above average receivers great. Well. <clears throat> It's a great question. There's a lot of layers to that. Let me start with this. And, and Mike, you and I sat in this press conference in Indianapolis when uh, the Patriots faced the Giants in the Super Bowl. We had worked together for like, I don't know, 37 minutes at the time. Mm-hmm. My youngest son had just been born. We went to cover that Super Bowl. And we went to Bill Belichick's press conference, and he was asked about wide receivers. And in particular, the fact that they, outside of Randy Moss that year, you know, never really had this like wide receiver core that was exceptional. And he, he boiled it down very quickly in that Super Bowl press conference to two things that a wide receiver needs to do. He says, I don't really care about a wide receivers. Do you, do you get open and do you catch the ball? And, and half of that, really both of those things can 
be taken care of to some extent by the quarterback because the quarterback can, can make larger windows out of tight windows. And when you're putting the ball on time and on target, you're making it much easier for that player to make the catch. So you're mitigating his, his responsibility in terms of creating space and you're mitigating his responsibility as it, uh, as it relates to, to catching the football. Then you just go to kind of the totem pole, the hierarchy of what has to happen on any given play in order for that play to have success or those individuals to have success. If you're going to throw the football, you've got to have the offensive line understand the protection and then make any adjustments needed or necessary based on the stunts and the movement of the defense. So that's number one. Those All those guys have to do their job. Minimum five, usually sometimes like six or seven, depending on the protection and how you're actually uh, going to identify it. Then the quarterback has to understand and, and recognize, diagnose the defense, and then on his timing and on proper timing, put the ball in the proper place in order for that wide receiver to have success. Then that ball has to be on time. It has to be on target. And then after all of that, it's like, well, I guess did the wide receiver go out there and, and win? It's a luxury. It's the frosting on the cake. Everything else has to be good before that guy can really make a contribution. Great. So let's say you're terrible on the offensive line. You have a below average quarterback, but you've got this insane receiver that you paid a lot of money. And so he goes out there and he creates space and he's wide open and your quarterback is on his back. Well, then who the F cares what he's doing on the outside? Oh, and by the way, those guys generally have the worst attitude in the locker room of anybody on the team and are going to cry about who's getting the ball and when and all this flash and blah, blah, blah. That's why all that distraction is the best way to be defeated. So why am I going to bring all that distraction when it doesn't really matter in the first place in terms of the hierarchy of performance? you got to understand why things are successful and why they aren't successful. And the last thing in the world that you need to be paying for is some diva-wide receiver. And I'm not saying these two guys are diva-wide receivers, and I'm not saying that you should have to never pay a wide receiver. All I'm saying that you don't need to do any of that unless you're solidified up front and you're solidified at the quarterback position. Like I said, Mark, yeah. I knew he hit it about 450 feet. Uh, who, what wide receiver hurt you? Just what, which one hurt you? None of them. I actually had really <laughs> like good guys at that at that position. I, I like I really like those guys a lot. I had my first year starting Derek McCoy and DJ Hackett, excellent players. Mm-hmm. Played with Jeremy Bloom, who was a wide receiver, and now Bloom wasn't all that keen to like actually know the playbook. Quick story about Bloom. He was just a flat gamer, man. The dude was like one of the best, if not the best athletes I've ever been around. And I was around Reggie Bush at times in New Orleans, right? But like Bloom, there was something magical about Jeremy Bloom. And it wasn't just his. It was like he was amazing on the field. So this guy comes in and what we used to do is signal the formation and and the movement. So it would be like, you know, some sort of, of movement, right? So you could like explode to, to like explode the east right zip and then you'd run something out of that and so i'd get the formation explode the east right zip and then the wide receiver used to run in and be like okay you know it's it's 200 jet x logo check you know 96 power or whatever so it's a two-pronged play depending on the safety or whatever we're gonna you know either throw the ball or we're gonna run the ball basically if i'd get a one-on-one with the x and we throw the slug out he comes in as the x a slugo is a slant and go. It goes to the outside. It's basically like a fade or a go route with a, with a little slant fake off of it. And he comes in and he's like, you know, like, you know, slugo power. 
And I'm like, uh, that's not really a concept, but I put it together. I'm like, okay, 200 jet exploits. So I put it all together and then breaking it. I'm like, on, on one, on one, right? And we clap and then we're breaking the huddle. And he runs out of the huddle and he looks back at me and he's just like, hey, watch me over the middle. And I was like, no, <laughs> no. And then he just runs out there and I'm shouting, walking up to the line of screen, Jerry! No, no! <laughs> I'm screaming, like, not in the middle! And now I'm panicked, right? Just like anxiety stricken. And I'm looking at him like, where's he going to be? I've got no idea where he's going to be. And so I'm thinking to myself, should I just check the 96 power? Because like, you know, that's my, my safe. That's why, that's why like, Hey, if you're in doubt, just run 96 power. It's a tank play. We'll gap scheme it, block down, kick out. Here we go. And then I think to myself, no, that's blue steel out there. You give him the damn rock wherever he wants the rock. And so sure enough, boy, red 200. Here we go. We're running red 200. Where's the X going to be? No friggin' clue. So I drop back three steps, and he just runs his butt right through the middle of the field with his hands up like he thought, you know, hey, slow goes right over the middle. I throw him the ball. He catches it and runs for a touchdown. No joke. He comes back to the sideline. We're high-fiving. Gary Barnett grabs my arm and goes, you changing the plays out there? I was like, no. Jeremy told me he was going to run over the middle. He looks at Jeremy. Now Jeremy's standing right in front of him, and he goes, Nice play, Bloom. <laughs> and, and that was it. <laughs> that, oh, that that might awesome. be the single greatest story I've ever heard. Unbelievable. <laughs> oh my God. I'm open Why over the middle. So no, they didn't they didn't hurt me. They just gave me heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's great. That I'm is running great. over the middle. I have no clue what the defense is, no clue what the play no. call is, but over I'm feeling middle. salty. Like, I felt like I was back on, on the Sierra Elementary fields, fifth grade, just with the old red and black Nerf ball. Your buddy was just like, hey, man, I'll run over the middle. And I'm like, yeah. We got him. <laughs> hey, hey, Joel. Hey, listen, I, I, I got to ask you a quick question because this I need your perspective on this. As I'm studying the Giants right now, which is uh, oh. it's 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 like kind of like watching the Broncos only worse. Um, I mean, they don't. There's nothing. There's no discernible. There's not one thing that I can tell you that they do well. They do nothing well. Like they, they'll they'll get in like two tights, like West Slot. And they'll have a, a seven-man protection, two-man route, you know, maybe a back leak out late out of the backfield, right, to get three guys in the in the pattern. And they'll give up sacks on it. I mean, just like the split yeah. tight ends. And they're just awful. They're, they're horrible. But they are about the most static team I watch on film. They line up in it, and they stay. You know, they may short motion, you know, one tight end across the field and get solo or whatever. But they're about the, as static as anybody I watch. When you're that static, is it the quarterback? Is it... The players that 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 you know, that don't understand motions or can't get, or is it the coaching? Like, why would you be that static in today's game? Got to be a combination of all of it. I, I I don't have any idea why you would be that static, and I don't think that you've got to move around like Gruden style. I know Kyle Shanahan moves around a lot, and I know you guys used to in the late nineties. Mm-hmm. You guys were one of the first teams to like really get after it as far as like the shifts, then the motion, but. The, the bottom line is this, is that in any given snap or in any given series, when you're on the field, there is one unit that is the aggressor and that there is one unit that is reactive. And as an offense, one of the ways that you can be the aggressor and put the defense on their heels is by moving, mm-hmm. change the strength. 
People have no idea how important it is which side the defense calls the strength. It's one of the reasons why two tight ends just lining up on each side is so difficult for the defense. It's because you don't have a defined strength to your offense in the run game. So they've got to pick one. And when they have to pick one, that creates a little bit of indecision. When you're changing your strength with a shift or a motion, and, and more so a shift, then motioning, you can create all sorts of advantages from a personnel standpoint, but as well as a schematic standpoint via leverage. And if you understand leverage and you understand things like contained players and support of the defense, you can put guys in conflict really easily with just a few different shifts and motions. And if you don't do that, either your players can't handle it or you don't understand how to do that. Now, I don't know which one it is for the Giants, but I will tell you that when you just sit there static, you better be incredible. There was a team, you know, the, the Colts used to be fairly static with Peyton Manning. They were being like 11 personnel a lot of the times <clears throat> and run kind of like this wing formation. But they would be static because Peyton's mind, he was carving the defense before the snap. And they would run just a few concepts and little adjustments off that concept. And so it didn't matter what you were going to run. They were going to adjust off that. But if you don't have that level of surgeon at quarterback, like a Brady or Manning or a Rodgers, then you've got to move in order to gain the leverage necessary in order to put players in conflict, whether it's in the passing game or in the running game. And if you don't do that, I, I to be honest, I just think it's a miss. All right, you've got Ohio State and Michigan. Can't wait yeah. for this one. Boy, Ohio State looked, boy, Ohio State looked dominant. Did, did they dominate enough in a, in a fashion that makes you think that Michigan has, has no chance again against Ohio State or, or how do you see it? Listen, it's going to be tough. They've recruited at a high level. Um, speaking of Ohio State, higher than, than Michigan. And it's, it's one of those situations where, Ohio State, when they're allowed to play their style of game, there is no beating them at all. You can't sit there and let Stroud sit there in the pocket and not get pressured. So what team is going to have a chance against them? Well, a great pass rushing team. It just so happens that Michigan is one of, if not the best pass rushing team in college football. They've got these two outside linebacker style defensive ends that they stand up, David Ajabo on one side, Aiden Hutchinson on the other, that each have double-digit sacks. So if you're going to build a defense to go specifically against Ohio State, you would basically build Michigan's defense, which is fascinating in this first year for uh, their guy, Mike McDonald, who comes from the Baltimore Ravens under John John Harbaugh. I'm I'm talking myself into Michigan having a chance, but, boy, I mean, I've done too many of these games to, to know that when Ohio State wants to win this game, and generally they do badly, they will. Uh, they're that good, and I can't wait to see how it all plays out. All right, Joel. Uh, Cincinnati creeps in. I mean, that's uh, always that's always fun. I'm, I'm sure they'll get booted out of the uh, top four. Oh, you know, d- you know the the powers that be are desperately rooting for East Carolina yeah. to pull off an upset just so they can get uh, Notre Dame in there, and then if, and, and or they're hoping that Michigan wins because if Michigan wins, then here's a great question: If Michigan wins, they definitely will jump, will vault into the top four. Would it be enough to knock Ohio State out of the top four, or do we just be looking at Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and Michigan? Yeah, Ohio State would be totally knocked out. They would have two losses. They would not have won their division nor played for a conference title. They would be done. So Michigan would have a chance with a win in the Big Ten championship game to go to the playoff. So this game is is massive, there's no doubt. So basically I think there's a spot for the Big Ten champion in the playoff. 
Georgia is probably already in. If Alabama wins the SEC, they would be in. And it looks like Cincinnati and the Big 12 champs, so long as the Big 12 champ only has one loss, would be the teams that would be uh, kind of under debate. Now, if the Big 12 champion were to have two losses, now you get into, like, is Notre Dame also going to go, which is fascinating to me. Joel, have a very happy Thanksgiving. I know it'll be an abbreviated one this weekend with you traveling, but uh, that beautiful family of yours uh, that I know you're so thankful for, we are thankful that you join us each and every week. It's the best segment that we do every single week. We thank you so much. Well, shoot, guys, man. I'm I'm, I'm thankful as well for you guys. I appreciate you bringing me on. I know we we like to bring the snark. And uh, I appreciate all the listeners out there, too, because I, I hear you guys on social media. You're such a jerk. <laughs> you love it. Thank you, Joel. There he goes. Joel Clapp presented by Audi Flatirons. It goes from bad to worse for the Nuggets, the latest. Sandy Clough will join us next. Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Hello, this is Ryan Watson, Vice President and General Manager of Audi Flatirons and Audi Boulder Service. When was the last time a dealership delivered the experience you were looking for? Have you ever felt that buying a car was solely about making the sale? It should be about the relationship, beginning with your commitment to do business with us and continuing through the years to follow. Our team is dedicated to exceeding your expectations from the first mile to the last. Come see us in person or visit us online at AudiFlatirons.com or AudiBoulderService.com.